Good morning, good morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored. And it's great to see you. Thanks for the little love from the front there. Woo, come on. Um, I hope you guys are all well today. It's great to see you this morning. And guys, we've done it. We are at the end of our summer series through the book of Psalms, Prayer in the Psalms. Today we're at the final Psalm, Psalm 150. We've made it through the book over the last three months. But I do just want to give you a little disclaimer. Next week we are going to have a Psalms epilogue with um, Adam Jones preaching Psalm 139, his Hurricane Sunday sermon, which he didn't get to preach. So I'm glad he's going to get to share that with us next week. But I hope this has been a good summer for you as we've worked through the series, learned some of the Psalms, grown in prayer. And I hope today will encourage you to. Secondly, next week we've got some guests visiting us. Uh, Andy and Jackie Rogers will be back in the room after their summer sabbatical. So it's going to be really, really special to have them back in the room and back here with us after their time of rest and time away. But today we're going to be back in the Psalms, in Psalm 150. And this is a different kind of Psalm to the Psalms we've been going through so far, because this is a Psalm of praise. In fact, the last five Psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 are all praise Psalms. And if you go and read them today or this week, you'll see why I say that. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there to Psalm 150. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. But before we read this together, um, I don't know if there's any Office fans in the room here. A few, a few who love it. I'm talking about the American Office, of course, the good one, not the British Office. I thought I might get some booze from some of you. If my wife was here today, I'm sure she'd boo me for that. But we've been uh, reworking our way through the office and just enjoying it so much. Like, I think that is the kind of show you could rewatch every year or two, just with a blend of humor and, oh, sheesh, I'm getting some eyes. Every year or two, that's insane. But um, I think the blend of humor and heart is incredible. And then just the really awkward uncomfortableness of Michael Scott. It's just perfectly kind of mixed together to make it hard to watch and hard to look away, that kind of viewing. But uh, we watched series three over the last while. And for those of you who remember or have seen it before, we watched Phyllis's Wedding. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are with me. It's a really, really awkward and uncomfortable episode. And basically in it, Phyllis, one of the employees in the office, marries her longtime boyfriend, Bob Vance of Vance Refrigeration, as you all know. And um, they say their I do's, they get married. It's a really special day. But Phyllis is really strategic. What she does is she asks Michael to be in her wedding. Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, the really awkward, really uncomfortable, really inappropriate, cringy boss. She asks him to be in her wedding and to help walk her down the aisle by pushing her father down the aisle in his wheelchair. And she does this very strategically, knowing that this is a tricky thing to do, but she wants six weeks of honeymoon. No one's ever gotten six weeks before, but she thinks if Michael's in her wedding, maybe that'll soften him up. And she's right, he gives her six weeks for honeymoon. But it's a costly decision, because Michael sees himself taking a very important role in this wedding, and kind of co-giving away the bride. So this is what he says about his role. Phyllis is getting married, and I am in the wedding party. She has asked me to push her father's wheelchair down the aisle. So basically, I'm co-giving away the bride. Since I pay her salary, it's like I'm paying for the wedding, which I'm happy to do. It's a big day for Phyllis, but it's an even bigger day for me, employer of the bride. It's pretty hard to watch, but hard to look away from, like I was saying. 
Michael, however, gets very upset when the father of the bride, Phyllis's dad, upstages him, to use his words, by getting out of the wheelchair the last few steps of the way to the altar and taking his daughter and walking her the rest of the way. It's this beautiful moment of a dad proudly taking Phyllis to the altar, and Michael is livid. She's up, he's upstaged him, and he says this, Me walking Phyllis down the aisle was supposed to be the highlight of the wedding. And now the wedding has no highlight. And then he says, I can't believe I pushed that guy's lazy butt around all day until he was ready to stand up and steal the show. That's, well, I got news for you, Albert, if that's your real name. The show's not over. It's a really awkward scene, followed by three more awkward scenes in the wedding and reception. Firstly, during the wedding where Michael interrupts the priests when he's doing the I do's to announce for the first time ever, Bob and Phyllis Vance, before the priest has asked Phyllis her I do's, which he then has to do before Michael jumps in again to announce for the first time ever, Bob and Phyllis Vance. And then during the cutting of the cake, when Bob and Phyllis are cutting the cake and kind of stuffing it into each other's mouths, Michael runs forward because he wants to be a part of this. And he asks them to do the same thing to him. And they're just like looking at him like, what are you doing, man? Like, oh, this is, get out of here. So he takes a piece of cake and smushes it into his own face in front of the crowd. And then thirdly, during the speeches, he comes up and takes the mic and introduces his 40-minute speech that he's about to give and introduces himself three times saying, hey, I'm Michael Scott, makes a joke. Hey, I'm Michael Scott, makes a joke. Hey, I'm Michael Scott. It's really awkward and incredible watching. If you haven't seen it before, I'm sorry I've spoiled it for you. Set a reminder for like a month's time and then watch it and it'll be really good. But the gist of it is this is Bob and Phyllis's big day, but Michael is making the wedding all about him, the employer of the bride. And in preparing for today's message, I think the reason that stood out to me is we've been in the Psalms for a while now, and Psalm 150 is just a different Psalm to the kinds of Psalms we've been in. I think over the last while, we've preached through 11 Psalms, or if you include Brad's sermon, which may be touching about four, about 15 or 14 different Psalms over the last while, that have really taught us how to lament. Julia said last week, 60% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They've taught us how to pour out our hearts before God, to express our emotions, to ask God our questions and bring our doubts and disappointments to Him as an act of vulnerability, personally to process those things, but then also to bring them to God as an act of faith. So we've been learning about this, bringing our stuff to Him. And we've been invited by the Psalms into this very intimate, vulnerable, close space with God in prayer. But these last five psalms in the book of Psalms reorient us. They cause us to look up and out, not in. They cause us to look at God. And you'll notice in the psalm that maybe even a bit jarringly, depending on how you think about prayer, maybe a bit jarringly, that if you take this psalm as a prayer template, that not even one part of the psalm is about us. Not one part of the psalm is about what we need or us bringing our requests to God the psalm is zero self-focused praying. It's not about us at all. In these six verses in Psalm 150, every single line, every single sentence is God-focused, God-oriented, praising Him, looking outward. So Psalm 150 leads us to practice something a little bit different to what we've been looking at in the psalm so far, to take the attention off of ourselves, to look at God, to praise Him for who He is, what He's done, and what He's like. 
So let's take a look at the psalm together. This is Psalm 150. The subtitle is Praise the Lord. Verse 1. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. Praise Him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's Psalm 150. Six verses, punchy, short, to the point. And if you're wondering, yes, today's application is entirely about praise. That's all that's here in the psalm. Um, but what's going on in the psalm? I studied uh, English culture and media studies when I was at university in Durban. And one of the things that I learned about in a journalism class that I was in was the five W's and the one H. That's the questions you ask when you're writing an article or trying to like, I don't know, practice journalism. So who, what, when, where, why, and how. And that's pretty much what the psalm is giving us. It's giving us all of the five W's and the one H of praise, helping us to think about how to praise and what praise is and all these things. So this is going to be a very simple psalm. I'm a little bit uh, embarrassed about how simple this sermon is just going through it. But we're going to look at five points from this today. Who should we praise? And verse 1 to 6 shows us we're praising God. Where should he be praised? Why should he be praised? How should we praise him? And who should praise him? But before we get that uh, to point one, I guess we have to define what praise is before we get into this. The Dictionary of Biblical Themes defines praise as the celebration, the honoring and adoration of God, meaning that to praise is to adore him, to celebrate him and to honor him. And that's why in the office, in the wedding episode, it's so inappropriate for Michael Scott to do the things that he does because he wants those things for himself. We all do. He wants to be honored and celebrated and adored. We all want those things, but he's doing it at an event that's about someone else. The focus is on them. It's celebrating them. It's honoring and adoring them and the steps that they're taking. And Michael is getting in the way of the reason all of those people are there and making it about himself and drawing attention to himself. And for us, we can do the same thing. We can try and make parts of our lives about ourselves when actually the scriptures are also calling us to make our lives about God. So let's look at these five points together. Firstly, who should we praise? The answer very simply is God. The psalm begins and ends with the word hallelujah in the Hebrew. It's the same word that Psalm 146, 147, 148, and 149 begin and end with. All five of these psalms are bookended with the word hallelujah, which very simply means praise the Lord. Praise Yah. Yah is a shortened form of the word Yahweh, the covenantal or personal name of God that he reveals to Moses the prophet in the book of Exodus. So uh, hallelujah means praise Yahweh or praise the Lord. And if you missed it, on top of those two hallelujahs, we've got one praise God and nine praise hymns for a total of 13 different times that we're called to praise God in six verses. That's an average of over two praises per verse. Pretty good value for money. It is very clear in Psalm 150 what we are meant to be doing and who we're meant to be praising. And it's very similar to the way Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, God, Hallowed be your name. We, we praise him or we hallelujah. 
we look to him and we honor him. We, we start with him and his will, his kingdom. We want those things to be done. Which in my experience is pretty different from the way most people normally pray. And the order that most of us probably pray into. A South African pastor and author who wrote a lot about prayer, Andrew Murray, had this to say about prayer and the Lord's Prayer specifically. While we ordinarily first bring our own needs to God in prayer and then think of what belongs to God in his interests, the master reverses the order. First, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will, then give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. In true worship, the Father must be first and must be all. I just love that line so much. In true worship, the Father must be first and must be all. That's the heart of what's going on in Psalm 150 and the heart of true praise. And I'm sure every one of us in this room have been in a conversation with someone. Now, this doesn't happen the first time or the second or the third time, maybe even that we talk to them. But somewhere along the line, we realize this person has never asked me a question about myself. Like we've talked a lot and they've never said, hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, what are the highs and lows you're facing at the moment? Hey, what are you doing? What's coming up for you? They just talk about themselves and their stuff and what's on their mind and what they're going through and what they're thinking, and their hopes and dreams for the future. Whatever comes to their mind, it's just monologue download one way just coming at you. They don't even get you a gap to get in there unless it's to like kind of nod or agree. And that kind of conversation is not healthy. <laughs> that kind of friendship is not healthy. Everyone occasionally needs a place and a person that they can just like pour out their hearts with. And we've learned that in the Psalms, that actually there's an invitation from God to pour out our hearts to him when we need to. But a healthy friendship or healthy communication is always two-way. And it's the same with a healthy life of prayer. We are pouring out our lives to God and we are praising him for who he is. I think for some of us, as we've been in this series, we've needed the, the teaching and the invitation and the permission to bring some of the things that we've seen the psalmist bring to God in prayer. Some of us would have never felt comfortable doing that, being fully honest with God. Some of us would never have felt fully comfortable saying some of those things to God, being as honest as the psalmists are, being as vulnerable, being as disappointed, being as doubt-filled as the psalmists are. But the Psalms have told us it is okay to bring our raw, vulnerable struggles to God in prayer. And not only that it's okay, but the Psalms are this ongoing emphatic invitation to do it. That God wants those kinds of prayers from us. He says, come to me with that stuff. Come to me with what you need. Come to me with the comfort you need. Come to me with your doubts. Ask me your questions. Come to me because I'm a loving father that wants to be intimate with you, wants to have a relationship with you, with whatever's on your mind and whatever's on your heart. Bring it to me. And maybe you felt the need for that permission. Maybe you're going through something right now where you need to do that and you can't even imagine any other kind of prayer other than to just kind of pour it out, to lament, to pour out your heart. The Psalms invite us to that. But some of us maybe also need the Psalms teaching and reminding not just to bring our stuff to God, which we can do and we should do and we must do, but also to praise God. Some of us maybe need a reminder or, or to be taught for the first time that part of prayer is to honor and celebrate and adore him for who he is because he is worthy. And that a healthy prayer life, a healthy life of devotion to God and worship, of course, involves praising God, 
not just our own stuff. So hallelujah, bookend Psalm 150, and it reminds us of the place and importance of praise in our prayers. Secondly, where should he be praised? And the answer is everywhere. Psalm 150 verse 1, hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse. Or the message translates it this way. It says, hallelujah, praise God in his holy house of worship. Praise him under the open skies. I think last week, Ethan was saying to me, he likes to praise outside, not just in a building. But I think this is what the psalm is saying to us. It's saying praise God at church and praise God outside of church. Praise God on Sundays when we gather like this and praise God the rest of the week, including Wednesday afternoons and Thursday mornings and Saturday lunchtime, all of those times. Praise Him on Sundays and outside of Sundays. Praise Him indoors and outdoors. Praise Him everywhere you go and always. That's what it's saying. The um, 2018 Christianity Today book of the year is a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And it's a beautiful book. Some of you have read it. Uh, The cover is this. Um, You can see two pieces of bread on there. The one piece has got some peanut butter on. The other has got some jelly on. You see all ready to make peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Very ordinary, pretty much the most unextraordinary thing you can imagine. Now, I would love to write a book in my life. I honestly just won, I'd be happy. Even if I do it in 30 years' time, I'm down. If I self publish, I'm down. It's just something I would like to do, like a bucket list thing for me. And if I made a book, one book, this is her first book, and I published it, and what went on the cover was the most unextraordinary, ordinary thing, like peanut butter and jelly, I would be devastated. Now, I would want the book that I write to be significant, to have weight, to be beautiful, moving, you know, transcendent, something like that, not peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But that's the whole point of the book that she's written. The the subtitle is Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. The chapters in the book are called things like making the bed, brushing my teeth, losing my keys, fighting with my husband, and sitting in traffic. And the whole book is about worshiping God and about being with God and about enjoying God in the very ordinary, normal, everyday things of life. The author is Tish Harrison Warren. And in the book, she writes this, just a short quote. See someone going, oh, okay, I know her. Um, The quote says, small bits of our day are profoundly meaningful because they are the site of our worship. The crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. And Warren is saying here that the things that we do, even these really ordinary things like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, do something to us. So choosing to weave and embed praise throughout our days and throughout our weeks, maybe morning, afternoon, and evening, and the different things we do, is going to shape us and is going to shape the way we live. And it's going to turn us into people of praise and a community of praise and and change our lives to be lives of praise. And even as we do this, She's imagining us being in a line in Costco about to pay or trying to find parking in North Park, which is an absolute nightmare, or trying to zero our inbox or trying to text a friend. All of these are places of praise, sites of worship, as well as the ordinary parts of life where we can choose to praise God with a different heart. This is not just a thing. This is not just an ordinary part of life. This becomes a holy act, an act of worship. One of my favorite preachers from the last eight years, uh, someone I've learned a lot from, is an Australian preacher by the name of John Tyson, who some of you might have heard of or listened to him or read his books or something. But he tells a story 
quite a few times in different places about dropping out of school at the age of 14 and going to work in a butcher shop. And uh, while he was in that place, he became a Christian and he started following Jesus. And he was really passionate about God, wanting to serve him with his whole heart. And this picture that I love that he gives is waking up early and going into the butcher shop before anyone gets there, before anyone else is around, and picking up the knives that he was going to work with that day and holding them up to God and like consecrating them and saying, God, today as I make links of sausages and as I cut up robust steaks, may I do this for your glory. I just love that so much. And I've tried to do that. I'd say maybe once a week I think of that or maybe a couple of times a month I think of that. And if I'm working with my laptop, I, I literally sometimes put my hands under my laptop and lift it up. Or if, I don't know, I'm reading something or on my phone or writing something, whatever it is, trying to hold up that very ordinary thing and say, Lord, let the work of my hands, let the, the intentions of my heart, let the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. It's like a bit of a remix of Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19. I want that in the ordinary parts of life, the everyday that those would be sites of worship and moments of worship and they would be transformed from ordinary to sacred. Now, practically choosing to do this is a discipline. Probably this isn't going to come naturally to any of us. We, we have to choose to put this in place. And some of you right now might not be in a place where you can even fathom doing this. I remember watching my wife after the loss of her dad standing in gatherings like this just unable to sing worship songs, not because she didn't love God, but because she was hurting. I've watched other friends just go through immense pain and struggle with praise, not because they don't love God, but because it's hard. They're torn. There's a tension to what's going on. Maybe you're in that place today. That's okay. Pour out your heart before God. But I want to remind you that we are also called to a life of praise. For some of us in this room, the sermon might even be a bit jarring today because we haven't praised in a while. And thinking about this, we're like, oh, wow, this is not a part of my life. We live in a pretty narcissistic culture, a pretty self-absorbed culture where it's very easy for us just in the air that we breathe to look inward and look to ourselves and think about our own lives rather than looking up and out to God in the way the psalmist is encouraging us. So a psalm like this challenges the way the culture around us lives and the way we are shaped and formed to live in a city like San Diego today. So we want to look out. We want to choose to praise him. We want to choose to respond in this kind of way. We do this as a bit of a, an act of devotion to God, but also a rebellion of, against the way of the culture around us, saying, I do not want to fit in here. I want to fit into God's kingdom and God's way. And I read another book recently called Generations by Gene Twenge. It's an incredible book, uh, more interesting than it sounds when you find out it's like a, a sociology book about the last six generations of America living today. But she looks at each one of those and talks about kind of the, the journey of them, the, the defining features of each one of those generations. And there was a line in the millennial chapter, which is my, my generation. Many of us in this room, this is our generation. She wrote something which I found really challenging, which might challenge you too. Whether you agree with it or not, that's fine. But she said this, which got my attention. Why is religion less popular with millennials? In short, because it is not compatible with individualism. And individualism is millennials' core value above all else. Individualism promotes focusing on the self and finding your own way 
And religion, by definition, promotes focusing on things larger than the self and following certain rules or a different way. Now, whether you agree with that or not, like that, that's not what I'm aiming for. But I feel like that quote is something which challenges us with thinking around, what is my focus on? What are my levels of praise like? What, what are the objects of my praise? What am I giving myself to? Is it more inward, more me, or is it more God-focused in my orientation? Because God is worthy. And the psalmist is pointing us to him and reminding us of him and saying, hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him everywhere and always. Thirdly, and we'll go through the next three a little bit quicker. Why should we praise him? The answer is for everything, for everything. Verse two, praise him for his wonder, powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. What the psalmist is doing is he's saying, the reason that we praise God is for who he is, and the reason we praise God is for what he's done. So um, in his commentary on this, Warren Wearsby, a, a pretty smart theologian, he talks about the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament, he says we might look back at those scriptures and think about the exodus from Egypt, the conquest of the promised land, the expansion of God's kingdom, the deliverance of the Jews from Babylon, and the restoring of the nation, these amazing moments where God did big things. And as we read the New Testament, we might see the miracles of Jesus, his cross and the empty tomb, the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out and empowering the church and just the explosive growth that the church went through for the next few centuries. We might think of those mighty works of God as we look there. God is worthy of our praise because of what he's done. And I just thought, like, let me make this personal. The scriptures show us again and again the, the mighty things God has done. But for me, why am I praising God right now? And I thought of creation, salvation, and restoration. Three amazing things God does and is doing. Um, firstly, creation. Shell and I, my wife and I, we moved here about a year and a half ago. And coming to California was quite a thing. You know, we, we did a road trip the first month we were here. And we saw quite a bit of this state. And if you didn't know this, it is a really beautiful place to live. We were amazed going to Yosemite and doing the Big Sur Drive and just seeing like the flora of the state and the topography and just being in awe of this beautiful place. The, the Big Sur Drive is one of like the best days of my life. It was just a really fun, exquisite, beautiful drive. I remember the last two hours, I was like, Shell, I'm done. I could go home now. I'm full. I've just got too much beauty inside me. I don't need any more. Like I'm saturated. I, I'm done for the day. And then over the last few weeks, just during the summer, we went to Kellogg Beach the one afternoon and we sat on the beach and there were three seals just barking or whatever seals do and just swimming in the water as we were playing there. We went to um, a beach a little bit up north this last week and there was just the, the marine layer there over the sand kind of by the mountains as we were in the water and I thought this is such a gorgeous place. As we look at creation, we see such beauty and are reminded of the beautiful creator, reminded of what he has made. Secondly, salvation. I think this is an obvious one. Jesus has given himself for us. It's the most incredible act of God. God himself giving himself on the cross for our sin, dying for us that we could be made righteous, that we could be reconciled to God, that we could have eternal life with him. It's, it's incredible, but we can become very familiar with that. That's a very easy thing. We hear the gospel and we go, yeah, I've got it. So I was thinking personally for me, how are the mighty works of God so significant? 
And I was thinking about the fact that God has given me a new identity, that he calls me his son, and he calls me his friend. The fact that Jesus calls us friend is a beautiful picture. And I was thinking of that, been meditating recently on Henry Nouwen's words that we are the beloved. I am his beloved. He delights in me. The fact that God is pleased with me and enjoys me is a wild thing that I believe and I'm beginning to believe more and more and more. That's dropping into my heart in a, a fuller and fuller way. And that fact that God likes me, he, he loves me, we all know God loves me, but the fact that God likes me and enjoys me and delights in me is something that sets me free. I definitely am one of the kinds of people who feels a huge pressure to do the right thing all of the time. And the fact that whenever God looks at me, whether I'm doing well or whether I'm doing okay or whether I'm doing badly, that God looks at me with delight, that he's pleased with me, that sets me free to be myself and to live for him and just enjoy this life that we've got. And then lastly, restoration. Roy spoke about this a bit in his uh, sermon on Psalm 22. But I'm sure you are fed up with seeing brokenness, injustice, just things around us and things in the news that are not the way that they're meant to be. And when I think about the things God has done, I'm also thinking about the things God is going to do. The, the restoration of all things, the new heavens and the new earth that is to come, when God will make things right and make things perfect. There'll be nothing missing or nothing broken. There'll be no more sadness or sickness. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more death or pain. It'll all be taken away and things will be the way they are meant to be. Looking around this room, I know some of the struggles some of you face and knowing in eternity, those struggles will be wiped away. We will be whole. Life will be perfect. There will be joy in all things. I look forward to that day and the disappointments and struggles of this life knowing that God is going to make all things new and we will be with him in perfection forever. These are the powerful acts of God. What about who he is? It speaks about his abundant greatness. And to praise God, we must know who God is and what he's like. I remember being 18 years old in a youth meeting and we had two people preach, Dom and Justine. And I remember they preached what they had heard at their small group on Tuesday night. And it was about the attributes of God. And the more I think about this, I'm sure it was a very unimpressive sermon. Um, they learned the stuff on Tuesday and it had impacted them. And they're like, we should do this on Friday. This is what everyone needs to hear. And I'm pretty sure it was just point scripture explanation, talking through who God is and what he's like. And I was... I wasn't a new Christian, but I was definitely a baby Christian. And I was hearing this stuff and I was like, I know God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, but I've never even thought about what God is like. This is blowing my mind. And I was like frantically writing down every scripture and every definition I could, going home thinking about this because I was like, this is all new to me. I've never heard this. But the fact that God is sovereign and that he rules and reigns over all things and that God is supreme that he is the ultimate thing in the universe, the greatest treasure, that God is love, that God is kind, that God is gracious, that God is perfectly just, that he is holy and glorious and omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient. He knows everything and omnipresent. He's everywhere. These truths hit me so hard. It was like being introduced to God, like someone standing up and saying, Grant, this is your God. And me going, that's wonderful news. Thank you. Thank you for showing me 
what he is like. Thank you for introducing me to him. And when I was thinking about that, I just thought of my wife, Michelle. I've known her for 15 years. We've been married for 11 years. And sometimes I just forget, you know, what she's like. And there'll be a moment where we're just talking or we're, we're in company or something, and she'll make a joke and I'll go, Michelle is funny. <laughs> like, she's, she's really funny. And I've known that for 15 years now. I think I've got a really, really funny wife. But every now and then I'll just go, I forgot. I've gotten so familiar with her, but she's actually a pretty funny person. Or I'll share something with her and she will just say something that is so wise and compassionate. And I'll go, she's wise. <laughs> now I've forgotten this about her. Or she's beautiful or she's kind or she's gracious or she's deeply compassionate or whatever it is. It just hits different in those moments. It's like that thing I knew, like I'm experiencing that thing I know now. And as we come to Psalm 150, there's this reminder to us to sometimes stop. Some of us have been in church for a long time and we know God well and we know about God well. And you know all of the things I'm talking about, but could we allow it to hit different today in a way? Just to, to look at, again at the works of God and who God is and be reminded of those things and praise Him for it. And can I just say as a disclaimer on this, as we talk about doing and praising, none of this has got anything to do with trying to get something from God or earning something from God. The kind of praise we're talking about today is entirely about seeing who He is and just going, it would be unnatural for me not to praise. I have to praise in light of who God is. He is so worthy. Fourthly, how should we praise Him? The answer is in every way. Verse 3, praise Him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. The psalmist is saying praise Him in every way with everything we are and everything we have. Now, I don't know your church background. You might be in church for the first time today. Maybe you've had a pretty normal church upbringing. I feel like I've seen it all. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of church. I've seen people take verses like this pretty literally and bring their own instruments into church gatherings like this and just do it. The band's on stage, they're jamming away. They've got their instrument with them in the seats and they're just going for it too. Little hand drum, little flag. Anyone seen a flag in church before? Little instrument, little horn, whatever it might be. I remember there was a lady in the one church I was in who had a little case made for her flags and she would open it up, you know, as the praise and worship time started, pull out like the, the stick part, pull out the flag part, assemble her two hand flags and then just go for it. Just jamming away with her flags during worship. And then people with shofars in church, have you guys been in those churches before? This huge ram's horn that someone just decides, I'm going to bring this into a gathering like this and your eyes are closed and you're singing, you're having a moment with God. And they blast this horn and terrify everyone. Like war has broken out here at Jefferson Middle School. Everyone's like, what, like, what is going on? What do I need to do? It's, if you have a shofar, please keep it in your car. Don't, don't bring it into gathering. We, we don't want that. And then the one Sunday, Palm Sunday, a, a person came forward and grabbed the palm front from the front that was decorating the room and started to dance around and wave the palm front and nearly took out my eye. And I've seen these kinds of things happening. And there's something so beautiful about them, people wanting to express worship to God. But this is less about instruments and more about all of life. 
the ram's horn or the trumpet here was these national or sacred occasions, big moments in the life of Israel where the horn was blown and everyone would celebrate. The, the tambourine and dance, this was saved for joyous occasions. Maybe after a battle was won or, or there was victory, they would dance and they would celebrate and they would play the tambourine. And then like the, the flute, the, the stringed instruments, this was for everyday just enjoyment and life. And what the psalmist is trying to say here, this is less about different types of instruments. This is not so much about learning how to play an instrument or anything like that. It's just saying what you've got, use it to praise God. Whatever you've got, would you use it to praise God? This isn't so much about instruments or skills or how you sing or how you dress or style of music. This is about our heart. Less what you do and more just doing this because he is worthy. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I'd love you to think about some of the things you do regularly. I um, only had coffee today, which was sad. I love to start the day with a cup of tea and sip that first thing when I wake up to the glory of God. I, I love to read a good book. I love to tell my daughter stories about Big Brown Bear and Wolf Boy. Amazing characters you guys would not believe. It's a little bit frustrating after about the sixth story. I'm kind of, I've run out of creative juices, but I love doing that. I love pizza Fridays in our home. I love getting a fresh haircut, which I need to do. My hair's a little shaggy right now. I love that feeling. And I love the feeling of getting into bed at the end of the day, especially crisp sheets, like clean bedding, all of that. It's just the best feeling at the end of the day when you're tired to get under the covers and to go to sleep. And I love singing with you guys on Sundays. I sing loud. I sing out of tune. It's not great, but I love doing it. And what 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, what Psalm 150 is saying is whatever you've got, whatever you do, wherever you are, praise the Lord with it. Praise him in every way. Lastly, who should praise him? And the answer is everyone. Verse 6 says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And some of you are all in. You're like, Grant, call up the band. Let's do this thing. We're ready to sing. We're ready for the benediction. Send us into the week. We're going to praise everywhere we go. Everything we do, we're in. Some of you may have come in today, and this is new for you. And you're like, I've never had a conversation with anyone about praise. Uh, I don't believe what you believe, Grant, respectfully. I'm not a follower of Jesus. So I'm not really sure what to do with what you're saying today. Like, there's no real takeaway. There's no real application for me here. I know there could be a spectrum of us in the room talking about praise today, but what verse 6 of Psalm 150 says is, let everything that has breath, let everyone praise the Lord. And the psalm that ends all of the psalms, the prayers, poems, and songs of the Bible, the psalm that ends it all is saying to us something that we probably already know, even if we haven't thought about it, that we are already all worshipers. We already all worship someone or something. You know, the psalm is calling us, worshippers that we all are, people of praise that we all are. Whether you've thought about whether you praise or not, it's calling us to praise the Lord. This quote might be familiar to some of you, but David Foster Wallace, the author and writer, who, when he died, uh, as far as we know, didn't identify as a Christian at all. But in a commencement speech in 2005, he said this, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. 
and an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, Jesus Christ, or Allah, be it Yahweh, or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. All of us praise someone or something. All of us. Whether you are religious or not, whether you're a Christian in this room or not, all of us praise. But Psalm 150 is ending off this book of the Bible and it's ending off the psalm of praise and it's ending off this book of prayer and praise, calling us not to praise uh, generally, like just praising in general is a good thing. It's causing us to praise specifically. It's causing us to praise the Lord. It's, it's calling us to praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. So in conclusion, who should we praise? The God of the Bible, Jesus. Where should he be praised? Everywhere and always. Why should we praise him? For everything. How should we praise him in every way? And who should praise him? Everyone. Now I want to share something a little bit embarrassing and ironic with you. I um, created a document for the sermon three months ago when we outlined um, kind of the series. It's like, I'm going to end the series with Psalm 150. And I put the passage in there. I read it. And kind of over those three months, I read a few commentaries. And every now and then, something would pop up and I'd throw it into the document. Over the last two weeks in particular, I've been looking at the psalm a lot, preparing for today. And on Friday, I was reading through Psalm 150. And I was praying and I was saying, God, is there anything you want to say to us today? Anything you want me to hear? And that last verse, verse 6, stood out to me. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I thought, that's great. Okay, what am I going to say to them? You know, what am I going to say to us as I finish off this preach? And the thing that dropped into my mind was, Grant, when did you last praise me in prayer? I feel like so embarrassed to say that, but it was just so funny. It's like, I've been thinking about this for weeks. I've been thinking about calling us to praise, and I have thanked God, and I have appreciated God and all those things. But when was the last time I actually prayed a prayer of praise only. I'm good at praying and asking God for things. I'm good at praying and bringing my stuff before God. But I felt convicted on Friday as I finished the sermon, as it was done, that I had not prayed a praise prayer in a long time. And I'm sure that's not true of any of you in this room. But what I wanted to do is give us three minutes while the sirens play, just praising him, you know, all of that, that everything that is breath. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing two songs of praise. We're going to praise God in song. But I wanted to give you guys a few minutes just where you are. You can stand, you can sit, you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open. Just to where you're at, pray a prayer of praise. You might praise God for one thing. You might praise him for a bunch of things. You might praise him for the things the Bible talks about. You might praise him for things that are going on in your own life. But I want to encourage us to practice the discipline of Psalm 150.
to turn our eyes upon God and praise him and thank him for who he is and what he's done. So would you pray with me? Hey, morning. You guys take a quick seat. I'm going to close this out. Um, so yeah, as Grant was talking about praising God, I had um, this thought that sometimes it's hard to praise God because we're kind of like the disciples arguing about like who's the greatest or needing like praise from each other or um, from a boss or um, maybe like a romantic relationship. And I was reminded I was playing um, tennis with my kids yesterday for like the first time ever. Um, yeah, it was it was wild. Like Rowan hit some balls on the nearby roof and um, they both got really frustrated. It was literally the first time, and they're like six and nine. Um, and they were getting so frustrated so quick about not being able to like beat me. They kept being like, we want to beat you, Dad. I'm like, all right, guys. <laughs> I'm not a great player, but I can definitely beat them, right? Um, and I ended up uh, basically kind of like letting them win, right? And the whole rest of the day, like, they were running around telling everybody, we beat our dad, we beat him, you know? Um, and I, I think that sometimes, um, and I was trying to like so much just try to encourage them and like affirm them and like their efforts. And anytime they try to do like the correct swing at all. Um, I've been watching too much Breakpoint, I think. It's a great, great episode. Um, and I, But I think a lot of times we go through life um, feeling like we need like this, we have this insecure identity. We need like praise um, from each other or um, from a boss. We're, we feel like or maybe we didn't get that from a parent and we're trying to like prove ourselves. Um, but I just want to encourage you that like God is so proud of you and the relationship that he had with Jesus, he has with you now. And the way, the way that he talks about Jesus, he talks about you. And I love this, um, this verse in the Old Testament where God's talking about Job. I don't know why he's hanging out in heaven with talking to Satan. That's kind of a weird thing, but he's like, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? Like, there's no one like him. And I was just imagining, like, that's how he talks about you. Like, he praises you. And I think that when we have that secure um, identity in God as a father, we want to, like, praise him back because we are so filled up with, like, love and um, security that we can um, look to him as being more important than ourselves and want to praise him. So um, I want to encourage you guys with that, just that, um, yeah, God thinks so highly of you. And I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Uh, our Father, we're grateful that you did die for us, that everything that we were trying to earn for ourselves, that you earned for us, and we don't have to earn anymore. We don't have to earn um, praise or glory from anybody else that you've given it to us. So I, I pray that we praise you, we do it um, happily this week, and we love you. Amen. So have a good week. <laughs>